0: Sunstrom Recruitment are the leaders in health and safety recruitment. If you're considering a career change or need to discuss your organisation's hiring, reach out to the team today. We were awarded Recruitment Agency of the Year in Health and Safety in 2023 and are a proud sponsor of Health and
1: Safety Conversations.
0: learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ let's
1: rethink possibility Invesco Distributors Inc everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist fitting into their schedule and of course the cost well BetterHelp can solve those problems it's totally online and built around your schedule it's surprisingly affordable too Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. Hi, and welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. I'm your host, Tom Born. and With me today is the awesome Ashley Horrigan. Ashley, how are you?
2: I'm good, Tom. Thanks for having me on.
0: Fantastic. How's that weather been in Perth?
2: I live down in Port Kennedy, and it pretty much looked like it was snowing yesterday. So a um, little different, little different.
0: <laughs> yeah, two We're days, surviving. Two days ago, we got three hailstorms up here in just south just south of Perth, and not big, you know, not not like Queensland hail, but, you know, little hail. <laughs> you know, it's just, oh, that's a bit bizarre. All right. Enough about the weather. All right. Okay. Firstly, Ashley, for those who don't know you, and there might be a few who don't, particularly those from outside Western Australia, can you tell us a little bit about you and what you're currently doing?
2: Well, basically, I've got a bit of a weird background, to be mm-hmm. honest. So I guess how I came to be doing what I am currently doing with Sotra Analytics, so for those who don't know me, I'm the Australian Partnership Manager for Sotra Analytics and I look after all of our clients within Australia but also in New Zealand and the Australasian region as well. So what does that all mean? Basically, and I'll tie it back to my background, I am an exercise scientist. So I started out basically working with kids Mm
0: -hmm. and
2: looking at their physical literacy. So all that means is I was looking at how they hop, how they skip, how they jump, how they run, all of those fun things, how they throw. I don't know if anyone has, well, I'm sure lots of people have kids that are around that kindergarten age, but it's a high development age, but also the skill level in primary schools isn't super great at the moment. So that was kind of my thesis and my work. And I was developing that. I was doing a thesis on it. It was basically physical literacy with kindergartners, otherwise known as Herding Cats 101. But I found that as I was going through that, it was really interesting. And I guess this is what kind of shaped my interest in what I do now. You have to really listen to kids. You have to really slow things down and make sure that you're explaining things really carefully. And then... Being able to put into practice what they're requesting, which is always interesting, but also being able to design better programs as a result. So, based on that, I started working with adults as well in the general population. Mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of fitness training with HBF, the good old HBF sessions that they used to run in in Perth, and there'd be, you know, 120 people at each session. And I was also training people at like a physio clinic as well. And what I was seeing is that a lot of the people that were coming up to me after class or coming to me for one-on-one programs were people that had hurt themselves at work. Mm. So these were people that had maybe hurt their backs, hurt their shoulders. Lots of the jobs that they were doing were really repetitive Mm -hmm. as well. Overreaching. It was usually doing a task that they knew was a bit poorly designed but they had to do it because they're at work and i was just seeing it over and over again so that kind of drew me into that whole on-site injury prevention workplace health and safety field and then i ended up at soda so basically SOTA technology analytics so we develop injury prevention technology mm-hmm. it's wearable technology with haptic feedback and then we also have ai vision recognition software where we do risk analysis And basically, I find that it kind of accumulates everything I've learned about my career so far. You have to listen to people to understand where to focus the risks, the risk management strategies and the, the safety initiatives. You also have to listen to them to make the insights from the wearable technology actually make a difference in the work design side of things. And as with any AI technology, you also know I have to ask the right questions. So, yeah, that was a really long answer for your initial question. But basically, that's my background. That's how I've gotten to SOTA Analytics, and that's roughly in a nutshell what we do now.
0: Very good, very good. And it's it's taken out about three questions out of the pack because you've just <laughs> that's awesome. And we'll call it no, no, we won't. <laughs> no, <laughs> no,
1: all
0: right. There's a, there's a couple of things you you mentioned there. Oh, I'm, I'm wondering. I I was uh, there's not much that surprises me these days I've seen a few things but the term physical literacy never heard Mm. of it and and particularly with children my wife's got a a very strong early childhood background in it and uh, yeah I think she'd be curious about that term too because some of the things she used to do was keep track of and monitor children's development in being able to do certain tasks well, physical tasks, et cetera, et cetera. And it was quite startling when you actually got to know the children and you could see certain children would struggle to actually climb or do take, you know, climb up and down steps and stuff like that, mm. particularly when everyone else in the group was having no trouble and you'd go, what's going on here? What's get-? So, no, that's, that's fascinating for me. All right, wearable technology. Can you fill me in on something here? You mentioned a thing which I don't know what it is, so I'm going to ask. Mm. What is haptic feedback?
2: It's a really good question. So haptic feedback is basically beeping and vibrating. So it's feedback that the the user can feel or hear or both, Mm -hmm. and that can potentially cause a behavioural change. So I guess the big difference with our wearable technology is there's some good companies in the space, definitely, but I guess what differentiates us is that our wearable technology, it collects data on how people move. So when they do a poor movement, so say for example, a poor paw forward bend, so a bend going forward past 90 degrees, when they come back up to standing, it will beep and it will vibrate and it will let them know. Mm-hmm. So over time, because it's supposed to be annoying, <laughs> we will try to avoid it, and we will learn that actually, when I do that movement and I come back up and it beeps, it means that that's not great for my back, and if I continue doing it, I'm at risk of a back injury. Okay. So I'm going to bend my knees. I'm going to move a little bit better. Now, it's a really important point, and I think this is with any technology as well that we don't want to just focus on the behavioural change aspects.
1: Mm.
2: The haptic feedback is fantastic. And this ties back to that physical literacy idea, right? When we're kids, if we've got poor physical literacy, it means that we don't necessarily know how to run, how to jump, how to throw a ball properly. And, you know, I'm sure lots of people have seen that in their own kids and, you know, you do little activities and games and that sort of thing, trying to improve it. Mm. Then we go into, you know, our adult life, our working life. Some of us maybe have never learnt quite how to move properly or how to lift properly, Mm. and I see that every day in the gym, but we don't want to just focus on, you know, behavioural change and movement change. We also want to focus on, okay, we've got all this data that we've collected that this workforce are doing a lot of twisting and a lot of poor bending day in, day out. They're improving through the haptic feedback, and that's great, but let's also have a look at the task from a work design perspective so then we're improving the physical literacy of the adults which is it's a it's a lifespan thing not just for kids but a lifespan thing so we're improving their physical literacy but we're also using that data to then drill down and have a look at the task itself or the workplace itself and go okay let's let's engineer this out or let's make this better so that people don't have to keep on bending mm-hmm.
0: I like mm. that I like that and I'm glad you addressed the the bit about behavior because my first thought came into mind was oh this sounds a bit like classic behavioralism where we uh, were rewarding and punishing through instant feedback and then I then I go down the pack the uh, the memory lane of, of a Simpson's episode where uh, when people said the wrong thing they got electric shocks from each yeah. other <laughs> to so that they were conditioned, conditioned or...
2: I remember it well. I remember <laughs> it well. Yep, yep, absolutely. Yeah. We don't shock people. Definitely no. not. No. no, no. That's that's not not in our devices. Um, it's not the first time I've been asked, but no, definitely <laughs> not. We like to think of our devices as a Jiminy Cricket on your shoulder, okay. right? Jiminy yep. Cricket, very annoying little chap, but had his best intentions at heart. So... It's more a, a support, you know, a guide that when a worker does a hazardous movement, they know through that beat, through that vibration, Oh, actually, if I keep doing that, it's not great for my back. I'm going to try it this way and avoid it. It's more about, one, yes, we're empowering them to take charge of their movement, but also that data that you're collecting from, from a workplace point of view mm-hmm. so you can actually make a difference and know well, this is where the risk is, That's that's really the key of
0: it. I, I'm guessing that sort of constant feedback that people are getting is actually a lot more effective than having occasional safety observations done by having a safety officer come out and also takes the stigma off the safety officer of being, you know, the, the, the safety police or the safety Nazi basically telling people to how to do their job. Would that be kind of accurate?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Spot on. So, you know, I'm pretty sure. And I, I, So this is definitely the case for you. It's the same case for every single safety professional that I talk to. But I'm pretty sure you guys aren't just sitting around waiting to correct someone on their manual handling. You guys have lots and lots of different things to do. You're very busy. And being able to, one, have an impact at a a work level across a large workforce efficiently, but then able to, you know, draw that data out and go, well, what can we do in terms of work design? Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. But then the other point as well is if someone is constantly, I guess, watching over someone or, you know, breathing down their neck and saying, well, make sure you do this, make sure you do that. One, we get a bit of the Hawthorne effect, right? Mm. That person might be moving well, but are they only moving well because they're being watched by their safety manager?
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. You know, so having this, it's a machine. They can't argue with the machine. It's it's telling them.
0: Have you ever ever thought about switching off the haptic feedback and just collecting the data?
2: Yeah, yeah. And there is definitely workplaces that can do that if that's what they want to do. If they were looking at it more from a purely work design perspective, potentially tying the the risk back to the task and that's all, mm. that's, that's fine as well. Yeah. What I find is that... And this is maybe in, I'll use the example of like return to work. Mm. Uh, Say someone's come back from a a work-related injury, potentially it was a back injury, and they've come back after a certain period of time. They've had lots of physio treatment. They're good to go, been cleared by the doctor, but then they come back into the workplace. Now, we know that people decondition Mm. in two weeks. So say this person's been off for three months, They're deconditioned. They're not used to the work. They're going to come back in. They're going to start doing the task again. They may be going to be on light duties and build up, but they're potentially going to be doing that same task with the same technique that they were previously doing. Mm. Or if it is task related, you know, or work design related, that issue is still there. It hasn't gone. Mm. Just because they've been off for three months with a back injury, nothing's happened. Nothing's improved. So having the haptic feedback there as basically a hand on their shoulder saying, look, it's cool, I've got you. This is what these beeps mean. Let's try and improve your technique, but also let's have a look at this task and see if we can improve it. That's why I think it's vital.
0: I I can definitely see the benefit. Is it able to go one step further that if someone's on a return to work program, you could get that feedback if they go outside the parameters of their return to work plan, like lifting, twisting, et cetera, et cetera, above a certain weight or those sort of things, or even just to remind them that they've got to alternate between standing and sitting jobs things like that?
2: Potentially. It's a funny one with return to work, right? You've got to be careful that you're not kind of muddying the waters and you know, adding additional things into a plan before they're cleared. Mm. Once they're cleared, well, definitely, you know, if they've got the ability to be back on normal-ish duties, Mm. uh, then, yeah, it can support that capacity certainly.
0: Yeah. And I'm guessing the introduction of this, you'd want to do it pretty much across at least a whole group, if not the whole workplace, and not just a person returning to work, because I can see if that was the case that might create its own issues.
2: Spot on, spot on. So the beauty of our technology is that it works really, really well at scale. If you're using it to just target, you know, one or two, okay, that work is going to get the benefits of the haptic feedback and improve their movement and look at it from that way. But... What you're really looking at is you want the data of the whole workforce. You want to see how everyone's moving in all the different areas so you can actually improve that work design.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think I think the great opportunity there is more than the just feedback devices, it's it's, it's improving the work design. Mm. Once you're able to, you know, get that data. I mean, that's 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 a big thing. You mentioned manual handling training. Mm. 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 What's your What's your impressions of <laughs> manual handling training? Is it effective or not?
2: Well, as someone who has both sat in many manual handling inductions, as well as you know, someone who was on the other side of it as well, no, I don't think it's effective. Yeah, I think no. that sitting in those <laughs> sitting in those PowerPoint like I'm not a death by PowerPoint person by any means, but I, I think you can almost pinpoint the exact moment that people glaze over, right? Mm. And then they go out into their workforce and they've just watched, you know, a however many slide presentation on how to lift a box safely, how to move this, how to do all these different things. And then we go out onto the floor where we actually have to do the work and all of the other sort of external pressures are on and it doesn't apply. Yeah, And it's promptly forgotten. Yeah. I think it also can result in people taking it a bit too far. You know, Mm. the spine is meant to move. We are meant to bend. That is totally fine. I think it's that whole 80-20, right? You know, 80% of the time you're moving really well. You're okay. You're lifting well. You're staying strong. So that that 20% of the time where you do have to, I guess, bend out of the norm, you're not going to hurt yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I always found that even with the best presentations about manual handling, sometimes people would go out and go, yeah, 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 we're going to do this and we're going to prevent injuries. And it seems to last a few weeks Mm -hmm. or until people are really put under the pump or under pressure to get stuff done. And then I don't think it's a conscious decision, but I think subconsciously once we've got enough pressure we revert back to what we're comfortable with all the old ways and uh, yeah i don't i've never seen long term lasting manual handling training be effective but uh, maybe that's just my experience
2: no no it's definitely my experience too yeah it's it's an interesting one purely because there are so many companies out there that still run it like Mm. that you know i think it's a case of maybe they haven't sort of crossed that next step to take on technology Mm. and make it more efficient but yeah i just think you know then that same person is going to go through that same presentation in a year they're going to do a manual handling Mm. refresher or even the other ones where they do it on the computer and they kind of just tick the boxes
0: yep 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 you know even if you look at the hierarchy control, engineering work design is, is slightly higher than perhaps, I don't know, policies and procedures and training. But mm-hmm. we're to go for the easy or the, what's that? What they call it? Low-hanging fruit because it's just easier to do and tick a box. Spot on. Okay. Musculoskeletal injuries. That's mm. what we're hoping to prevent. What are they?
2: So in the work context, If we say musculoskeletal injuries or MSDs, so musculoskeletal disorders, Mm -hmm. we're talking about your sprains, your strains, pulled muscles, all of those sort of things. So, you know, if someone's hurt their back, if they've strained their shoulder, maybe they've done a knee, something like that, that's what we're talking around musculoskeletal injuries. So it's it's a big problem, big problem.
0: Soft tissue injuries, would that characterize it?
2: sort of more looking at yeah your back injuries and those sort of things you're not necessarily looking at your cuts and Mm, yeah yeah, (laughs) yeah. the the interesting thing is that when you know obviously we deal with a lot of companies globally and everyone reports things differently
1: oh yeah. you know so you
2: have some that are musculoskeletal injuries you have some that are you know, maybe cuts or bruising or something mm. like that. And they're all kind of lumped in together. So that's always really fun for our data analysts to go through. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're mainly talking about kind of your strains, your strains and your injuries like that. Yeah. So it's a big mm. problem. It's a big problem in Australia. It's a big problem globally.
0: Yep. Most common type of injury?
2: <sighs> backs. Backs, lower backs.
1: LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. First
2: thing one, because you're looking at like two thirds of adults have back pain at some point in their life. So it's almost the minority that don't have back pain. But, you know, you're going into the workplace, say you're potentially bending and lifting and overreaching and all of those fun things. As an adult, Mm -hmm. you're very likely to to hurt yourself if you're not moving well or if the work is poorly designed. Mm So, yeah.
0: Okay, MSDs. Are they preventable or is it just a, a matter of attrition?
1: Hmm.
2: I think they're largely preventable. Definitely. Big part of it's work design. I know I keep saying it, work design, work design, work design. I, that's my my thing is that if we can improve the work and make it better for people, I strongly believe that we will not hurt as many people. Yeah. You yeah. know, Accidents happen. Of course they do. And if anyone says to you, I can prevent every single accident that you've ever had or are ever going to have, good luck to them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because the thing with accidents is we don't actually plan to have them.
1: No. But
2: I think that in terms of musculoskeletal injuries, certainly they are largely preventable if we can help people to move better and make their work safer.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what, I, I, I say to students sometimes, I say, I can make any workplace 100% safe. And I say, do you believe me? And they all go, no, nah, no. Nah. And I say, well, I okay. can. It's just I shut the business down 100%. Basically,
2: safe. yeah. <laughs> yep. Shut it down, lock the doors and turn the lights off. There That's, you go, right.
0: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Most of us have got bills to pay and you know mouths to feed and stuff like that. So I can't see that help happening too much. All right, artificial intelligence. We've spoken a little bit about this. And everywhere you go, everywhere you go, it's, oh, this artificial intelligence is going to change, yes, it's going to change that. It's the answer to everything. It's the biggest challenge we've had since the Industrial Revolution. There seems to be a lot of, I won't say hysteria, but a lot of chatter about it. Is it going to be something, in your opinion, because you're 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 into technology a bit more than me, (laughs) is it going to be something that'll improve our life as a whole?
2: I think so. I do think so. The reason I think so is because obviously, you know, I'm slightly biased, but with our technology, it is AI vision recognition technology. So Mm -hmm. it's looking at AI in terms of, I guess, injury thresholds, risk thresholds, different parts of the body. I think that that sort of technology can definitely help make our work and our lives better Mm -hmm. and safer. I think that there's lots of technology out there that we're already using that's AI-driven that people don't even sort of tie to AI. I don't know if anyone's seen lately at Woolworths when you you scan something, maybe it's a piece of fruit and it picks up, you know, that it's broccoli or yeah. picks up that it's like this. Well, that's that's AI, that's, that's colour, it's colour-driven. You know, anything when you open your phone, that's AI as well. So I think all of these different elements of AI, it's already here, we're already using it and it does make our lives a lot easier and better. However, I also think that there's definitely a place for regulation and mm-hmm. it's it's quite good to see now that there are a lot of, I guess, commissions globally being put together. I know that the Australian government's got one going that are looking at how to regulate big AI companies to make sure that we are driving towards a better future. Mm. You know, that it's not necessarily going to be used for harm. Yeah. Yeah, but I agree. It is it is everywhere. It's on all the TVs at the gym. It's on all the newspapers. It's every time you answer your phone. It's AI. Something something is going on in the news. So I would say hysteria is actually kind of the right word. yeah Yeah, there's a lot of interest there's a lot of you know positivity out there about it but a lot of people are also quite worried
0: yeah 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 Uh, my manager he spoke to me the other day he said he yeah it's an interesting point of view he said he said uh, are we, are we less than 30 years away from the Skynet scenario in Terminator where the machines, the artificial intelligence has progressed so far that it's worked out that know, humans are a threat to the planet and so it tries to exterminate them? Completely fanciful?
2: I think that we are a very, very long way away from anything like that happening. Hopefully, hopefully, people learn from not necessarily history but movies. Yeah, You know, they've seen what could happen, Skynet, yeah. and they learn from that. But at the same time as well, I think that all of these regulatory commissions that are coming together are a really great step. And, yeah, I think, you know, if robots turned around and decided that the humans are a threat to the, the planet, Geez, I don't know. That's a whole other conversation, right, Tom? Like, are they wrong?
0: <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I got to tell you, I was constructing a, a little book made out of purely using chat GBT. I, <laughs> I, I, I tried I tried to get it. I said, you know, give, write me a song which blames the worker for workplace accidents. And it actually gave me a lecture why it wouldn't do that. It's, you know, workers are not the problem, blah, 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 blah. It was giving me this moral, moral lesson about it. I was like, <laughs> I was only joking, dude. Just come
2: on. <laughs> oh, that's great.
0: <laughs> oh, and right. it's moral
2: compass on. I love it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Chat GBT does not support behavioralism. <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right. Oh, that's, that's interesting.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to take a screenshot, but I missed the opportunity. I was like, oh, my God. All right. AI, the way people are using it currently with all the, the latest, we've got Google Bard, we've got Chat GBT, you know, Again, people using it for everything i've saw one of my former colleagues put out an article today about how he's been using it to design assessment tasks in in vocational education and i I sort of cringe at that but he was very proud of it but hey he also deals with firearms and i go what could go wrong there but perhaps i do have a concern that if we become very reliant on using these systems which are basically regurgitating information from the internet do you think there's a possibility that as humans we're going to restrict our imagination or our creativity to create something that hasn't ha- already happened because we're so reliant on what has actually happened?
2: Oof. Tom, that's like that's straight on my wavelength. That that was literally one of my questions. We had that safety differently. That's right. That's right. Shout, that's right. I shout, shout I... out to David. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it's a big question, right? It's like, what happens if we stop thinking of new things? I think I've got two. I've got two two pronged answer here. Okay, so in terms of how that would have happened before. AI before ChatGPT, anything like that, because AI has been around in like various forms since like the 1970s. So it's not necessarily a new thing. It's more like a new thing so that everyone can use it now. But prior to that, really, you know, we read books, right? Mm. We read books, we watch movies, we we talked to other people and drew from their experiences. And that kind of shapes our own ideas, our own perceptions and our own inventions, so in terms of that, you know, worrying about will there be no new thinkers? Have we lost, you know, the potential Darwins of the future? You know, thinking up completely new things. I think if we become completely reliant on AI, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It would be the same as if someone was only ever reading philosophers and you know particular texts and they only drew all of their information from those particular texts and didn't take in anything else from the outside world similar thing right in terms of ai and i can i can draw this back to to sotar and what we do yes we have ai technology you know yes we're looking at data that data is driving how the company looks at the risk and, you know, what they focus on with Soda Task, which is our vision recognition platform. But none of that works without the workers. Mm. So without the conversations between management and the workers and understanding, you know, what's happening when you do this, how does this particular thing make you feel? You know, I can see that there's lots of, beeping going on when you're doing this particular task, let's work on it together and then developing new frameworks and new designs without that, then yeah, sure, like AI is just going to drive everything and we're not going to, you know, be able to think of new things, but with that conversation element, that collaboration that's where I think AI can really shine
0: Yeah All right all right, once you once once businesses see how this technology can help them, are they keen to take it on board or do you face some resistance?
2: They are keen to take it on board. I think they face resistance purely from kind of those initial barriers that we think of. And I don't think this is necessarily even just technology based. This is any safety initiative mm. or any any initiative full stop that you put out in the workplace, right? There's going to be things like workers might not want to do it because, say, they they think they're being watched or they're being tracked or performance managed. You know, they might not want to do it because, you know, the managers think it's going to have an effect on productivity or it's going to cost too much or take up all their time that they didn't have anyway. So being able to sort of unpack that with workplaces is really important. You know, that's a pretty key part of my job. But looking at that from, you know, one, we're not tracking workers. It's got no GPS. It doesn't care where you are. It purely only cares about movement. Um, it doesn't care if you're at lunch, if you're outside in the break room. It does not care. So, you know, those sort of things. But, yeah, being able to unpack that with the with the workplaces then that kind of, you know, gets them across the line.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Mm. I was thinking most of the resistance you'd have could be from workers who may not necessarily like Jiminy Cricket talking to them or (laughs) buzzing them all the time. Or, again, the other thing, as you said, was they may feel like this is some sort of performance management or tracking of their activity, et cetera, et cetera, and they're going to get pulled up on it. How do you overcome worker resistance for that?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. So in terms of workplaces that we, we work with, generally, if they're approaching us, and not from a workplace performance management perspective, but if they're approaching us because they want to stop hurting their people. And they want to look at better work design. Generally, that workplace has already got a good, and I won't say the C word, but they've got a a good (laughs) group in place that are able to talk to workers and have that collaboration piece with them. So we basically educate them on exactly what the devices do, what they can and they can't measure, what it's supposed to do, like why it's beeping and how it can improve their movement, but also how it can improve the workplace as a whole. And then we we coach the supervisors and the managers to be able to actually convey that to the workers effectively. Another way that we do it as well is they actually wear the devices. So the managers and the supervisors, they wear the devices. They mm-hmm. get a user experience so they understand how it improves their movement. They might have, we've, we've had quite a few actually now that they were supervisors and managers that had really sore backs because, you know, they've worked in the same places they've come up through the ranks and very sore backs and you know I think a lot of people with chronic back pain sometimes they just kind of write it off as a part of you know being an adult you know Mm. I'm just getting I'm just getting old and it's like well no no like it's it's definitely quite common to have back pain but it's not normal to have back pain all the time
1: Mm.
2: so getting those people on that user experience and getting them to understand how it works is is a really vital point. But also I would say that the workers that are, you know, they've got Jiminy Cricket on their, their back, it's called Soda Coach for the record. It's not called Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> don't don't come for me, Disney. <laughs> soda Coach, Soda Coach. But that device, if it is constantly beeping on their back. So you know, say for example, we had we had one guy that had 79 hazardous movements per hour which is a lot. So that thing is beeping a lot. And this was, you know, poor bending twisting. So twisting, you get three little beeps. Mm. Uh, And then there's also an element, which is called our intensity model where basically if you bend and you're kind of overreaching lifting something, it's a bit too heavy for you and you kind of use that momentum kind of jerkiness to get it up. It'll really beep. It beeps three times quite loudly. So, you know, he was getting those seventy nine times per hour and you know basically he said the same thing I don't want this thing beeping on me all the time and we said well the reason why it's beeping on you all the time is because of these movements let's work on this side of things and then let's actually look at the task that
0: you're
2: doing and see if we can make it better because if (laughs) it's so yeah once he understood why it was beeping and not that it was malfunctioning and that he needed to throw it at the wall it's That light bulb
0: moment yeah so yeah that's good yeah i i don't know i certainly won't tell you what to do but I, I i would think perhaps having the managers and supervisors wear it for a while before you impose it on workers so that the workers can actually see what it does when it does it and stuff like that. Is probably half the half the battle because mm. Mm, yeah the other thing I, I I just ask is, having been a worker, and I still am a worker for most of my working career, I've seen workers who are, we all are. yeah, incredibly resourceful in getting around safety control systems, shall we say. You know the the ones that have worked out. If you put a flat screwdriver in this part of the forklift, then the speed limiter doesn't work. Or if you take a guard off this piece of machine, we get extra twenty percent production. Workers are incredibly resourceful at thwarting systems.
1: Mm-hmm. How do you go
0: about preventing that? It's a good question.
2: It is a good question, and I think with any technology or any system, for that matter, you're always going to have maybe one or two that game the system, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it really comes down to that education piece. So, helping the workforce to understand by the managers, by the supervisors, because look, I can walk into a workplace and you know say, "This is why you should do it, and you shouldn't do this because you're going to hurt your back, and you know if we don't improve that, everyone's going to keep getting hurt." Like. You know, I can do that. That's fine. But no one's going to listen to me. <laughs> they, they're not going to take take notice of the soda person. Mm. It comes down to their, their supervisors, their managers, their colleagues to be able to understand, actually, this is why we're wearing these devices. This is the benefit that they can have for us. Okay, yeah, it might make me move better, but also my workplace is going to get movement data that they can actually make a difference for us and make our workplace better. Yeah. Being able to really have that education piece, that's that's kind of the key there. You're not going to be able to change every single person's mind on the planet. You mm. know, there's always going to be that. But if they start seeing changes in their workplace, so not just, you know, talking about it and going, yeah, yeah, yeah we'll do it one day, we'll do it one day, but actually acting on the data and improving things, then hopefully the title change a little bit. Yeah,
0: yeah. I was just thinking its success would be very closely linked, I think, to actions being followed through, not just collection of data, but collection of data which leads to changes.
2: Spot on, yeah. So there's, there's a case study on our website actually and it's from Advix. So Advix are a brake manufacturer in North America I think pretty much most cars have ABS brakes, and based on the data that they got from from wearables with their workers, there was a significant change in risk, and that was great. But at the same time, they used that data to then go to a few of their workstations and actually make engineering changes, and they were they were tiny, tiny changes. They weren't, you know, even significantly costly changes at all. Tiny little changes, and they made a huge difference in the risk, yeah. and. For the workers to see that, it kind of completes the loop, right? The workers have given, you know, they've they've improved their movement, they've given their data to the workplace, they've then used it from a work design perspective, and then we're going back around and the workers are safer. Yeah. That's what we want.
0: Mission mission accomplished. Ashley, um, um basically, I think you've answered all my questions, to be honest. So uh, and <laughs> I'm I'm this is a rare thing for me, but I'm running out of things to talk about. So uh, we might call it a day there. But absolute pleasure talking to you. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you again and maybe seeing you at the next AIHS function or the book club, perhaps. Oh,
2: absolutely. I wouldn't miss a book club.
0: Okay. okay. Thanks for your time today, Ashley.
1: Thanks for listening to Health and Safety Conversations with Tom Bourne. Until next time, stay safe
0: First, safety first, we're careful as can be. Safety first, safety first, that's for you and me. We're out to practice safety, so we put our toys away. Although we skip, we never trip, cause nothing's in our way. Safety first, safety first. In all our work or play,
1: safety first, safety first, makes a happy day.